1: It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit the slash RG.
0: This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at ugg.com.
1: Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to chat with James White in just a little bit to recap this game. But what a win for the Patriots as they now improve to three and three on the season. They take out the Cleveland Browns. I shouldn't say take out the Cleveland Browns. They completely embarrass the Cleveland Browns, 38 to 15 in Cleveland, and it's a massive win for the Patriots because now, as we've been mentioning for a couple of weeks here, the schedule really softens up. But this was one hell of a performance from Bailey Zappi in this game because. Essentially, what we saw, the Browns game plan was the same that the Patriots had. Make the quarterback beat you. So the issue for the Browns was their quarterback couldn't fucking do it. And Bailey Zappi on the Patriots side of things was really good today. And you look at this 309 yards of passing for Bailey Zappi, a fourth round draft pick that a couple of weeks ago, nobody would have ever thought that this guy would be playing this season. He completes north of 70% of his passes, a 118.4 rating. And for the third consecutive week. He has a passer rating over 100. You may say, oh, that's a flawed stat. Well, I'll tell you this. Mac Jones has never done that in his career as a member of the Patriots organization. Never done that. Three consecutive games. Bailey Zappi just did it. And this was by far the most impressive performance to me because we can look through it and say, you know what? They really helped him out in the first couple of games. And they certainly did today. But you needed Bailey Zappi to win this game for you. And look, the defense deserves the bulk of the credit. They were incredible. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Zafi was awfully impressive. I just look at some of the throws that stuck out to me. The first drive of the game, he finds Parker, 29-yard throw down the sideline. And this was, remember, something that Mac Jones was doing earlier this season, the contested balls, right? One of the things that I referenced earlier this week, he wasn't throwing into a lot of tight windows. And I was fine with it because they were protecting a young player. Today, they said, the hell with that. He threw it up on the first drive to Parker, and he puts that ball in a perfect spot and great catch by Parker as well. So that was a big one that stuck out to me because it's like, okay, now they're kind of going to let this kid go to work. They're going let to let him do his thing now because earlier this season, they were not letting him do his thing, and we saw it today. Second drive of the game, he ripped a slant to Barker, which I thought was just a nicely thrown ball. Picked up 14 yards. He ripped that thing. Fifth drive of the game, the touchdown to... Thornton, where he just kind of kept the play alive, let Thornton come open, and they found him in the back of the end zone. That was impressive to me. And then another really impressive one to me was later on in the game, where he it's a play action pass to Thornton, and he picks up that the blitz is coming. He recognizes the blitz is coming, so he climbs up in the pocket and he rips one to Thornton for 21 yards. So those are the ones to me that like really stuck out. He had a bunch of them. I mean, you could have an argument like which ones you like the best, but those are the four to me that really stuck out. And one thing I give Matt Patricia a lot of credit for in this game is if you really think about it, all these big plays had some sort of play fake, right? I mean, you think about it. The play action pass to Myers to pick up 20 yards on the fourth drive of the game. Then you had the fifth drive of the game to Jonu Smith, that huge play, 53 yards. That had a play action to it. And remember, the linebacker bites up, so Jonu Smith can do his thing after the catch, if you will. Then Zappy to Henry for another one where I give... Patricia, credit for this one because he put Henry in motion to pick up the play there. And then later on in the game, he found Hunter Henry wide open for a 31-yard gain on a play action pass as well. So if you look at it all in all, and then there was a 27-yard reception too by Jacoby Myers on a play action play. So this is the stuff that we've been calling for the Patriots to dig into, and they've really been doing it with Bailey Zappi. You have to give Patricia credit, right? I mean, and really the one, the drive that was incredible to me was the first drive of the second half. We referenced some of the plays, but you have the play to Jonu Smith. Then you have a six-yard run to Stevenson, and then he goes to Hunter Henry on a second and short, right? Second and four, and they throw a touchdown pass to Hunter Henry. And the thing I loved about this, not just the motion I referenced before, but secondarily, the Patriots being aggressive. They were not aggressive on second and medium last year, I should say. Fourth and seven. Mac Jones was 18th in attempts between four and seven yards to go. And we saw today, okay, let's sort of get out of what we ordinarily would do. Let's become a little bit unpredictable. And they did that for the touchdown pass as well. And then, of course, that's the drive that ends up with the Thornton touchdown. And then on the very next drive, you had the... Fakes, screen, and then you come back to Smith. That was really nice. And then Hunter Henry, of course, the 31-yard catch. The other thing with this team is they stayed on schedule, right? That was the big thing. They were productive on first and second down where they were 7 of 14 on third down today, which is exceptional. The Patriots coming into today, 20th of the NFL at 38.2%. So they stayed on schedule. They used play action. And you had to win with the passing game because the running game was not very productive. And that's not an indictment on Ramondre Stevenson. We saw what the Browns were doing. They were saying, we dare you to beat us. All they did was they put a free safety in the middle of the field. They were stacking the box and they were saying, hey, the young quarterback, the fourth round pick, he's going to have to beat us. And Stevenson on the game, remember, he had that outstanding 31-yard run. Where it was the Patriots' first touchdown of the game. He runs away from a corner, right? I mean, it was blocked up perfectly. Nice play call by Patricia there, too. I mean, nobody's going to expect a run there. And he runs away from a cornerback. This is a 230-pound guy running away from a cornerback. So this is sort of like it was almost like a box and one defense, right? In the NBA, where it's like, we are not letting you beat us. That's what they did to Ramondre Stevenson. Their bet was Zappi can't do it. Now, today Zappy did. But for Stevenson in this game, he does come up with the one big play, right? So on the afternoon, he still runs for 76 yards, even though it wasn't very efficient. I mean, you take out that one 31-yard run, it's two and a half yards per carry. But again, that's not on Stevenson. That's on what the Browns were doing defensively. They said, hey, we fucking dare Bailey Zappi to beat us. And unfortunately for the Browns, Bailey Zappi beat ya, and Jacoby Brissett couldn't on the other side. Another thing that stuck out to me was Thornton, man. And... <laughs> Part of it was Bourne goes down with the toe injury, does not return, and you were obviously dealing with an Aguilar situation where he didn't play in this game either. Thornton, remember, fastest receiver at the NFL Combine, 4.28. Okay, this guy absolutely flies, and this is what I like so much about it. You can tell they want to use him. They want to get him involved, and what they're doing is there was a clear idea entering the draft, draft super fast guys. If you think about the guys that the Patriots have drafted, Marcus Jones, and you look at Pierre Strong, who got a little bit, he was out there a little bit today. That dude is super fast, right? So that was the goal of the organization, get faster. And they're actually using Thornton as a weapon right now. He had the three handoffs, one of them for the touchdown, the 19-yard run, but you could tell that Matt Patricia and company trying to be creative, get the ball in this kid's hands. And he made a couple of nice catches as well. But I mean, if you look at it too, just going forward with the situation with Thornton is this is sort of like we've always talked about the cheat code of the NFL being the quarterback on a rookie contract, which it certainly is. I mean, when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, remember Mahomes went to his two Super Bowls when he was on his rookie contract. That's ordinarily how this happens, where you can stack up your roster. But my point being is, if you look at that Bengals team last year that made it to the Super Bowl, right, where they were a little bit ahead of schedule, they had two guys on rookie contracts. When you're thinking about Jamar Chase and you're thinking about T. Higgins. 49ers last year who made it all the way to the championship game, two guys on rookie contracts when you're talking about Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. This is a new cheap labor in the NFL. What we're finding out is all these receivers seem to be hitting, like they're all hitting. I know we can go back to 19 to kill Harry. I I don't want to do that, but you get my point is this is the new sort of, okay, how do we get production from the receiver position When those numbers are just getting astronomical, this is how you do it. Get these guys at a rookie contract. So I'm excited to see what they do with Thornton the rest of the season because he certainly showed up today. He was really good. Not to say he didn't show up before. He was injured for the majority of the season. The tight ends, though, they also are there. Like, the tight ends are part of the offense. Again, we saw it last week with Hunter Henry. And today, we saw it with Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry, right? Jonu Smith on a screen after the play-action fake. We mentioned that one. Obviously, the long catch and run that we talked about. But they're scheming him up. So this is what sticks out to me about Jonu. In Tennessee, and like I said, this is I'm not looking at this as like, oh, yeah, this contract's good now. No, no, it's not a good contract. I'm not saying that. But you have to get something out of the guy. You're paying him all this money. you got to get some sort of production out of him. So in Tennessee, if you go back to when he was successful in Tennessee, 4.7 yards before reception, 5.1 yards before reception. Last year, he was at 2.2. Coming into today, he was at 1.0. So what that essentially means is in Tennessee, they schemed him up, play action stuff, right? Tannehill was always at the top of the league in terms of play action attempts. They had Derrick Henry. Arthur Smith, who is now, of course, the head coach of Atlanta, dude loves play action, okay? The guy absolutely loves it. We saw them dial that up all the time. So Jonu Smith, they were getting him open. The Patriots are not getting Jonu Smith open in this offense before. And the one thing that he's really good at, in fact, last year, he was number one of the NFL in yak per reception for tight ends like i'm not like saying this is this is some great achievement because he didn't catch a lot of passes but this is what you have to do you have to find ways to get him the ball you have to scheme him up he's not one of these elite tight ends as we all know but they did a really good job getting him the football today and the same thing i would say with henry as well oh the other thing that they did that helped is they benched isaiah Wynn for a little bit of time there because he got absolutely beat badly for the sack fumble That shit continues to happen with him. He's the most penalized offensive lineman, most penalized player of the NFL. So enough was enough. I like the fact that they put him on the bench. They brought Marcus Cannon out for a bit there, which he needed that because he's got to wake up. The rest of the offensive line is playing really well. He's not. okay. so just circling back to the zappy thing. I don't know how you can't say that there's a quarterback, at least issue or controversy. There's no way you can just give Mac Jones his job back at this point. How could you? This guy is playing really well for your team. The... Players are clearly rallying around him. There's good vibes. You had four receivers over 60 yards today. He's sharing the ball with everybody. It feels like you finally found something that works in this offense. Heavy play action. Run the football with Stevenson. You have found your groove as a team. So I don't want to see Mac Jones back playing right now. I want to see Bailey Zappi continue to go. Like, I'm so sick of the Mac Jones. Oh, well, he was practicing. He was out there before the game. Just keep rolling with Zappi, okay? If Zappi... Fucks up for a couple of games. OK, then maybe you talk about the Mac situation. But right now, Zappy's playing too well. The team is in too good of a spot right now to take him out. And look at the schedule coming up. We're talking about the Bears. Now, the Jets, of course, have been playing better. You're talking about the Colts. I'm giving Zappi an opportunity here. Hey, Mac Jones went down with an injury unfortunate for him. But Bailey, Zappi's played better than Mac. There's no way that you can argue to the contrary. So that would be against sort of Belichick's ethos if he put Mac in. Belichick believes it doesn't matter where you were drafted. I play the best player. Right now, Bailey Zappi is a better quarterback than Mac. I'm not saying it means he's more talented or he's going to have a better career. Right now, he's better, so you keep this kid in there. The other thing we have to mention is the defense was tremendous in this game. And you got this to where you wanted to get to, right? So we said coming into the game, can you put this on Jacoby Brissett? Can you take Nick Chubb out of the game? Can you do what Belichick has done for so many years where he makes you play left-handed? The answer to that question unequivocally yesterday this is the perfect formula look at this today Jacoby Brissett attempted 45 passes and Nick Chubb had 12 carries that is if you could have said to Bill before the game like hey you know Jacoby's gonna throw 45 and Chubb's gonna run 12 you said really okay well we're gonna kick the shit out of them and that's exactly what happened of course and Brissett coming into the game he's so bad when he falls behind all three of his interceptions coming into today were when he was behind he had just a 61.5 passer rating And what we saw today is his first 13 passes. He's nine of 13 with that pick. And then he went on a streak where he's one of 10. He was just atrocious in this game. And give the Patriots credit for exposing him, right? You look at Chubb. So he comes into today 6.1 yards per carry, best in the NFL. Prior to being down 24 6 in this game, he had nine carries for 28 yards. That's it. He couldn't do anything. The Browns as a team, because they couldn't play on schedule, the Patriots were playing on schedule. The Browns couldn't. The Patriots quarterback, when they asked him to win the game, he could. The Browns quarterback couldn't do that. The Browns quarterback in their offense, 4.9 yards per play. On the season, they were at 5.7, which is 12th. Only four teams are south of 4.9 on the season. So the Browns offense was just rendered completely ineffective. And just like we talked about the Lions last week, this was a pretty good offense coming into the game despite the fact that Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback. That's why my whole thing was just put it on Jacoby Brissett's shoulders. Now, you have to play well to get it to that particular point and give the Patriots credit. They certainly did. And the other thing about the Browns' offense is they came in today with one of the best offensive lines in the league. Their run block grade, according to pro football focus, was first. Their pass block grade, according to pro football focus, was second. The Patriots were all over them. Dietrich Wise, Matthew Judon... They completely outplayed the offensive line of the Browns. And one of the other big things is, if you look at it, the Browns were 4-15 for 15 on third down. Only Carolina is south of 29% of the season. Coming into today, the Patriots had struggled on third down. Just 23rd of the NFL at 43.9%. The Browns' offense was 5th at 44.3%. So... Coming in, you would have said, okay, the math tells you that the Browns have the advantage on third down. Instead, it was the Patriots that had the advantage on third down because they were stifling Chubb on first and second down. So you made life more difficult for essentially Jacoby Brissett in this game. And if you look at it, you had big plays all over the place today. First drive of the game, Duggar takes advantage of that poorly thrown ball by Brissett. I don't know what the hell he was doing there. That was a horrible pass. Good play by Duggar. You give him credit. When the other team makes mistakes, you got to capitalize. Duggar certainly did there. Third drive of the game, you stop Brissett on that fourth and one, the sneak. Fourth drive of the game, second and long, Wise gets pressure on the quarterback, and then third and long, Jack Jones covers Cooper down the field, outstanding coverage. Jack Jones has been phenomenal. He has been really good for this team. Then you go to the fifth drive of the game, Wise pressure again, Jack Jones again, coverage on Cooper, you force them into a field goal. Sixth drive of the game after half, Marcus Jones on Cooper, another rookie cornerback, right? Seventh drive of the game, you get the Mills pick, and that was Bentley came free. Uh, that's schemed up. Give Steve Belichick, give Gerard Mayo credit. The Browns did not pick up Bentley whatsoever, so you get an easy interception for Jalen Mills. And then later on, Wise bats down a pass, and then Mac Wilson has the sack on second and third down. And then, of course, Wise had the strip sack. So all day, we saw Dietrich Wise in the backfield. All day, we saw really good coverage from these cornerbacks, and I hate to keep coming back to this. Not that I hate to keep coming back to it, but it's worth mentioning again. Look at all the production this team is getting from young players. Ramondre Stevenson, Tyquan Thornton. Now, this this is what I'm really excited about coming out of this game. It feels like he's going to be a real thing in the offense going forward. Because once those other guys, obviously Aguilar didn't even play, but once Bourne went out, there was a heavy emphasis on getting this guy the ball. And look, two of those runs went for nothing, but I just like the fact that they feel like, okay, this guy is a weapon look at the rest of the NFL all these teams have speed right the teams that have good offenses across the sport they have speed like the Niners remember this whole thing in the offseason the Patriots want to do more of the Niners stuff they have speed at the wide receiver position I and can Debo Samuel I'm not comparing any of the guys to Debo Samuel I'm just saying get the ball in your playmakers hands and there was a clear emphasis to do that today another good game from Jacoby Myers as well but just getting back to the young guys Cole Strange still doing his thing Jack Jones has been outstanding Marcus Jones, a difference maker in the return game. And of course, we saw what he did today as well in terms of the coverage. He played more in coverage than he ordinarily does. Or I should say he played more in defense than he ordinarily does. We saw a couple of the running back uh, running backs come in as well. So, man, it does feel like Bill the drafter is back. And of course, the most important one today is the quarterback Bailey Zappi. But biggest takeaways from today is just a massive win for the Patriots because now you set yourself up to compete for a playoff spot. It looked like earlier this season, you weren't going to be able to do this, but now you set yourself up for sort of the soft spot in this schedule, except the Jets look better than we thought they were going to look. The Bears do not look that way. The Colts do not look that way. So you set that up. Zappi continues to play well. And inarguably, Bailey Zappy has saved the Patriots season because if Brian Hoyer was playing quarterback for this team, they would be losing left and right. So Zappi has unequivocally saved the season. And then last but not least... Give Patricia and give the coaching staff a lot of credit, mainly Bill, but give Patricia credit as well, because this was by far the best offensive game plan and the best offensive execution they've had all season long. All right, a lot more to get into. We're going to be joined by James White in just a little bit here.
0: This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kids' education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
1: Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, three-time Super Bowl champ, it is James White. James, how are you, man?
2: doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. So I got to ask you this to start. So when you were in training camp with the Patriots, you knew that Zappi was going to have a 300-yard game this season at some point,
2: right? Never. <laughs> <laughs> not not at all. But I mean, I thought he did a great job during, you know, OTAs, training camp, preseason. He showed flashes of what he could possibly do. Obviously, nobody thought he would, you know, have an opportunity to play this season with Mac and then Hoyer, but I think he was prepared and ready to go. He's Done a great job these past few games and you got to give him a lot of credit for what he's doing. He's definitely helping the team win.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like sort of, James, everything was working for them today, right? In terms of the play calling. I like felt like Patricia did a really good job. It felt like there was a ton of play action in there, which is something they didn't do a lot with Mac, but it obviously helped Zappy and the tight ends got involved. You got the rookie yeah. receiver, Ty- Quan Thornton, involved. Of course, Devontae Parker had that nice catch down the sideline. Jacoby Myers does what he ordinarily does. But it does feel like this Patriots offense is now in the best place it's been this year.
2: Uh, most definitely. I, did, I think they did a great job. It's their best game so far, spreading the ball around. I think that's what the Patriots has been all about the ever since I've been there's you know you never know who it's going to be maybe the tight ends this week maybe the running backs this week maybe the receivers this week maybe the offensive line just not giving up any sacks you just never know what it's going to be but I think for all the stuff that you know Matt Patricia and Bill and Joe Judge all the backlash you were getting you know throughout the earlier parts of training camp and all that stuff you got to give them a lot of credit for what they've done they put these guys. every week they've gotten better and better. We'll put these guys in a better position to succeed. They've done a great job today. I think they're making Bailey feel very comfortable back there. He's protecting the football. He doesn't really seem like a rookie out there. He's standing in the pocket, making the throws. I I even think the offensive line has gotten better throughout the year, because I know they were struggling a little bit in the beginning of the year as far as protecting Mac. And they still have had, you know, some issues here and there, but they – faced a good pass rusher, Miles gear who gets everybody trouble. So they had a couple of false stars and things of that nature, holding all that good stuff, but he's going to make his plays. But I think everybody has a hole in that offense. It's gotten better and better every week. And they just got to keep getting everybody involved. I think that's when they, they're at their best.
1: Yeah. I think Bill's going to be pissed off about those eight penalties in the <laughs> yeah. first half, which is the most in the season. They kept yeah. doing it in the second <laughs> half. At one point too, they put Isaiah one on the bench and they brought in cannon yeah. after the strip sack. So What's it like in the locker room right now? Because Zappi has now played three consecutive pretty good games. It felt like, obviously, this is the game where he was really part of the victory, right? Where they really had to put it on his shoulder because they sold out to try to stop Ramondre Stevenson. Mac Jones, the first couple of games of the season, did not play particularly well. Like, James, is there going to be start to be a growing feeling in the locker room? Like, I don't know. Maybe we should <laughs> stick with Zappi.
2: No, I don't think so. I think everybody has the ultimate confidence in Mac especially off coming in the last year in his rookie season, playing a full full season. And to see what he was capable of doing, I think everybody still has the belief that he can go out there and play great football, which I think he can. Obviously, just to protect the football a little bit better once he gets back in there. But I think Bailey's doing a great job. I think it'll probably help, you know, light like a little bit more of a fire under Maggie. Have you the person who's supposed to be behind you going out there playing good football on the same offense. You want to go out there and do the same to help your team win football games when you get back. But... I don't think there's going to be any controversy. I think Mac's the guy, but Bailey's doing a great job. And I think it's going to be great competition for years to come for whenever, you know, Mac's years are up down the line. And, I mean, they have a huge decision to make. You have two, what it looks like, two really good football players at quarterback. It's a good problem to have.
1: Well, if they do, so if they do go back to Mac, and let's say the hypothetical is that Mac plays similarly to the way he did earlier on the season, do you think Bill will be quicker to say, okay, Maybe I do go back to Bailey Zappi this time because it it was like a given Mac was the guy. But if he does go back to Mac and then Mac's not playing at that level, the rest of the team looks at it like, well, hey, Zappi was putting us in position to win.
2: I think the only possible way is just that Mac isn't protecting the football because that's what, you know, Belichick preaches the most is protecting the football. If you don't turn it over, the the offense doesn't turn the ball over. He always throws his dad. I think it's like a 96 percent win percentage for the Patriots to win the football game. So. I think the only possible way of just Max putting the ball in harm's way, I think that's the only way they, you know, end up switching to Bailey. But I think Mac will come back, you know, like I said, fired up, ready to go because obviously nobody, you know, you're happy for, you're happy for Bailey, but as a competitor, he's like, it's like, man, I want to go out there and play good football too. So I know he's itching to get back out there.
1: Yeah. We'll see. I mean,
2: (laughs) Zappy hour, Zappy fever, man. I'm
1: starting to buy He had a couple of those throws too, James, where he like, uh, brought down the arm angle a couple of nice throws like that a couple of, I mean one of the slants he threw to Parker I mean he just kind of ripped that ball I mean the guy's got a ton of confidence right now I'm awfully impressed with what I see
2: yeah he's, he has the arm talent you wouldn't think for a guy he's not big in stature at the quarterback position you'd think he possibly wouldn't be able to see over the offensive line all that stuff but he gives his guys chances down the field He's putting, making the right reads standing in the pocket confidently he's not panicking he's going through all his reads you know a lot of times you see rookie quarterback, you know, they get on that first read and they start to feel like the pocket's going to collapse on them, but he's, he's standing in there and he, he's making those throws. And I think he's, he's gotten better and better every week. And I think as the season goes on and there's more tape on him, he's going to have to do that because people figure out what they're doing. They're, you know, early on is heavily relying on the, on the run game. So everybody's going to start stacking the box and seeing if he's going to make those throws and be able to win on the outside. And he's, he showed that this week and he's got to continue to do that. The more he plays.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like, too, today, one of the other things that jumped out to me was there was an emphasis to get Tyquan Thornton involved in the offense yeah. after, of course, Bourne went down with the toe injury, no Nelson Aguilar. They gave him the ball three times in terms of, like, jet sweeps, stuff along those lines, yeah. when he took to the end zone. What was he like in camp, James? Like, was did his speed, like, jump out right away? Because, obviously, fastest guy for a receiver at the combine. Was it like, holy crap, this guy's fast?
2: Well, most definitely. Um, I know he hurt his, his shoulder in, like, rookie minicamp or something, like, all during... You know OTAs and training, he's basically like running with one arm. So wasn't surprised he ended up hurting his shoulder. You know at some point during the season, but he was still running like 22, 23 miles per hour, whatever it was, with the with the messed up shoulder. So you, you definitely tell his his speed flash, but he's really quick. You know most guys who are that fast, um, I think unlike maybe like. Waddle and Tyreek Hill those guys are extremely fast and quick but most guys who are that fast they're not able to change direction well he actually is which is good and you can see the way he releases on some of his routes even on the jet sweep putting his foot in the ground and scoring the touchdown he's a he's a difference maker for that offense for sure when he's out there and I think obviously Bill knew that and Matt Patricia Joe Judge knew that so that's why I think they got him involved early and often I think they'll continue to do that he's another guy who can stretch the field like like Nelson can to have You you put those two guys or wherever in the slot at Parker. You got Jacob. You got a lot of weapons, and plus the tight ends. I think I said I said this offense was extremely underrated. You know, going into the season because they have a lot of weapons at their disposal. You have to figure out how to you know work everybody in and get everybody the ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have, right, when you yeah, have a lot yeah. of capable guys. Like, even if yeah. they don't have that unbelievable number one stud, we've seen Parker have a big game, and he played well again today. We've, of yeah. course, seen Aguilar have a big game. Thornton got involved today. Jonu Smith got involved, yeah, which yeah, that was great.
2: I, I, I love to see it. They got to gotta get him the ball more. Just find a way to get the ball in that guy's hands. Even on the play today, he catches the ball, it's hard to bring him down. Just. Just get that guy going, man. You know, everybody likes to you know, get on him last year because he didn't have the best, greatest year, but he was used mostly probably as a blocker. Probably more he was as a receiver last year, but they just got to find a way to get the ball in that guy's hands. Him hey, and Hunter, they're, they're difference makers.
1: Yeah, well, it appeared to me, James, like one of the things that helped him in the game today, the two big catches, was they were using a ton of play action, and that's kind of what he did in Tennessee, right? The same type of offense with Derrick Henry. So it felt like that may help. Not as much as the quarterback, Bailey Zappi, but outside of Zappi, it might help Jonu Smith more than anybody else.
2: Well, 100%. We run play action, get him those easy access throws up the seam or across the middle and just let him catch the ball and run. more. Kind of like what we used to do with Grunk, you know, when Tom was there. Just hard play action on a pin pool, hit him right up the crosser across the middle of the field. He breaks a couple of tackles and he scores. I mean, I mean, that play was in every week if there wasn't like multiple versions of it. So he's got to do a great job of scheming it up and getting that guy the ball.
1: All right. So Ramondre Stevenson today, I know it's going to be frustrating for him. Like they were just basically they just had like a free safety in the middle (laughs) of the field and everybody else is in man coverage. They're stacked up trying to stop him. So it's got to be frustrating. But he did bust out that 31 yard touchdown run at the end of the half. James, that to me was a really nice play by Patricia, but he then ran away from a corner. He's 230 (laughs) pounds, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, that guy, he's he's a different breed. He's a guy, he's bigger, but he's quick and he's fast. And you don't really see that a lot. Of, I mean, you got Derek Henry, a guy like that, but he's he's a little bit different because he's a little bit more shifty. You can see him even on some of those one-yard gains, two-yard gains, making guys missing the hole and in the backfield. He's a he's a different type of runner for him. He's a good change of pace compared to Damien. They're both really talented backs, and I think they're they're better when they're both out there because you know defense has to prepare for those you know two types of guys because they seem to do two different things with those guys in the game, but. So he's a, he's a good football player. I said he'll continue to get better and better as he gets older.
1: Hey, so what did you see from the defense in terms of basically they just took Nick Chubb out of the game? I mean, obviously, we've seen Bill do this so many times, whether it's a receiver, whether it's a star running back. We've seen him do it before. But what did they do to just basically eliminate Chubb from the ballgame?
2: They're just trying to see if Jacoby could beat him throwing the football, I think. I think Bill, I mean, obviously Jacoby was in our system for a few years. So then there's gonna play it that way. We gotta stop the run because if they're running the football, then Jacoby's gonna get a lot of easy throws. And I know Chubb had a pretty good game against us a few years ago. He had the two fumbles and whatnot, but he had a few big runs and he's a tough guy to stop. You know, he's the top five in rushing this year. So I know the emphasis this year, uh, for the game versus them this year was to stop him because peak is going and that offense is extremely hard to stop. I think. They had a great game plan for us, shut down the run. See if Jacoby can beat you. And they got some interceptions. Try to make some tight throws for him. And um, his receivers had a couple of drops and whatnot. But I thought they did a great job in the back end. You know, Marcus Jones is doing a great job filling in. Jack Jones, those young guys are probably playing a lot more than some people probably thought they would. But they're they're talented, and I said this rookie class is showing that they can you know help win football games.
1: Oh, you're not kidding! I mean, it's the past two drafts have been ridiculous for Bill. Yeah. I mean, obviously last year he's got Mack, he's got Barmore, he's got Stevenson. Mm-hmm. This year, I mean, we've seen Zappi, who may be <laughs> the most important out of all yeah, of them. Yeah. And then he, of course, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, Jones all, all these guys. Yeah. yeah. Tyquan yeah. Thornton's out there. Cole Strange, of course, yes, is playing yeah. every snap. I mean, yeah. Bill's been criticized recently, yeah. James, for his drafting, but the past two <laughs> years, man, you can't really say anything about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. You can't really say much about it. Like I said like he can, he's not a hundred percent in control how somebody ends up, you know, turning out as a football player they, they draft a guy thinking they can fit in the system. And sometimes it just, you know, doesn't happen to be a great fit or sometimes that guy just isn't sought out to be a, a great NFL player. That's just the way it goes. I mean, I think they look at, look at bill like, Oh, you can't draft the receiver, a receiver, this and that, but sometimes just, it's just a fit thing, scheme thing. And sometimes those guys can go somewhere else and it's, probably a better scheme fit ends up working out there. But these past two years, they've found guys that fit their scheme really good. And these guys have been playing a lot these past few years. And I think it's really cool to see those young guys step in, play some major snaps and make big plays in games.
1: Yeah. The one thing that I saw in the defense, too, is it did feel like for they had free rushers like constantly in this game, whether it's Juwan (laughs) Bentley a couple of times. So, James, is that like Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo are drawing that up? Is that like really bad football from the offensive line of the Browns? that has been good this season. Like what what was that? Because it felt like that was a theme of the day.
2: (laughs) It's it's both. I mean, it's good. Good scheme by Mayo and you know, by Little Bill, like that's what I call him, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> little Bill scheming things up and the Browns not being prepared for the pressure, not, you know, making checks at the line or just making adjustments after the ball snap. And like I said, we were able to make some some big plays off of it. I know the blitz zero and, you know, Jalen Mills got to pick off of it. So they do a great job of scheming it up. I think the pass rush has done a great job all year. Wise is having a big year. Obviously, Judon's having a big year, I think that's really important especially when you have younger guys in the secondary you have a pass rush that can get there very quickly those guys don't have to cover for as long and they can possibly take chances or you know they're able to have tighter coverage so it's it's a big help for them
1: hey what is steve like or as you call him little bill
2: (laughs) (laughs) no he's different than bill he you know he's younger he's like he's like around my age so he's you know he's he's with the stuff he's around the guys he knows all things that goes on in the locker room he's I remember when I first got there, he wasn't necessarily a coach. I don't even know what he was. I guess he was technically a coach, but he you sit on the back of the plane next to me, I'd chop it up with him. He's he's a good dude, a little players coach. And like I say, he's he knows how to get to know his players and like I say he can shoot the stuff with them and, and have fun with him as well.
1: I heard he was like looking at schemes when he was like in junior high. <laughs> like he could, he could break down even- stuff.
2: I believe. It. I mean, Bill Belichick's your dad, of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, you're just kind of born into it. And the you know, Bill pretty much lives in that facility as like a bed in his office or something like that. They those guys study football like no other. They're you know football geniuses. And like I said, that's your dad. I mean, I don't think you have any other choice but to you know kind of following his footsteps and be like him. If you're going to be a football coach, you're going to have to study the game in and out. And like I said, learn people's tendencies, learn player tendencies different schemes all things then there's just so much that goes into it and the only way you know you're really going to know it all is if you watch the film
1: all right so uh, big bill what <laughs> have you made of his last couple of weeks because i mean this whole mac situation for him not about mac playing or not just about all the injury stuff he said this week i, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about <laughs> mac's injury like is he ha- is he actually having fun with this like behind oh, the scenes like does he thinks this funny
2: 100% he thinks it's funny. He's he's hilarious. I know he doesn't necessarily like the media, so he's going to give them, you know, as least amount of information as possible. He likes, you know, kind of poking at him a little bit in, in his manner. I know up there he's being serious. I'm thought, I think in the past few years he started to laugh a little bit more with the things he's saying, but I feel like even in the past when he had those straight faces, I know deep down inside he wants to laugh because he knows they're trying to poke and knit and grit get, get information out of him, but he's just not going to give it away, and I think, I mean, that's just the way it is. I know a lot of other coaches don't really do it that way. They're more descriptive and, and all that stuff. But that's that's the way he likes to do things. He wants to give his opponent and the media the least amount of information as possible so they don't really know if a guy's, you know, super hurt or he just has a little ankle, twisted his ankle or something. He'll be fine playing. He wants to keep guys guessing. So that's just his mantra.
1: <laughs> Would you guys ever say something to him like after one of those press conferences? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> what about like some of these press conferences crack me up when he like just he'll reference some like random player and talk about like how good the guy is. You guys ever <laughs> see those and like, why is he talking about that guy this way?
2: I mean, he, like I see he watches a lot of film. Like I said, those Wednesday meeting, Wednesday morning meetings were kind of going over the next team that we're playing. And he's asking guys questions and about the opposing team. like Who's his backup? What college did he go to? Or where this coach last coach at? When's the last time we played him? It's just this. That's just the type of stuff he <laughs> he's prepared Wait, for. anything he, he else, would yeah? he'd ask you guys what college the guy went to? Yeah, he'll ask you sometimes the most random question, like how many years he's been in the NFL. Like, did it, was his, did this guy get hurt in preseason? What did he, what did he hurt? Like, he'll ask, you, he'll ask you like sometimes the most random stuff. you know, a lot of times some guys don't really know the answer. They they just know, you know who the starter is or this and that. The, like the basic information. And sometimes he'll try and. <laughs> nitpick and so the, a lot of those detailed questions will go at like probably some of the older guys cuz they <laughs> kind of expect a little bit more but it's always funny if you ask a younger guy those type of questions they're just like like what <laughs> like why do i need to know <laughs> What about like so? Remember when he
1: referenced uh during like the deflate gate thing, my my cousin Vinny quote, I'm not the Mona Lisa Vito of like I forget what it was. (laughs) Did did you guys talk about that with him because that was freaking
2: hilarious? No, we never talked about that when I like I said, we nobody really brought that up in (laughs) lock that whole situation.
1: All right, James. So it looks like now going forward where this Patriots team is at from a scheduled perspective, I thought it, if they win this game, they have a real chance to win five consecutive games. Obviously, Vikings on Thanksgiving is going to be tough. But prior mm-hmm. to that, I mean, it's not like they're this unbelievable team. You get the Jets twice, who, of course, playing better. The Bears mm-hmm. are not looking good. They get them on Monday night. And in between there, they get the Colts as well. It does feel like the Patriots now have a chance to make it to the postseason.
2: Yeah, I mean I thought they have a chance to sneak into the post. You know, Like I said, a lot of people are writing them off because of the offensive coordinator situation and all that and you know some changes on defense. But they have a bunch of winnable football games, you know, for these next this next five game stretch. The Jets are playing, like I said, they're playing really good. Like I said, they went out there in Green Bay and won a football game that people didn't expect them to go out there and win. So that's those gonna be, you know, tough. Two games versus them. I think those will be the toughest two games for him. I think the Vikings will be tough as well, but those division games are really tough. And the Jets have a lot of young guys that are playing really well for him. Their rookie class is good too. So it'll be an interesting matchup, but like I said, they're in a good spot. And hopefully, you know, if Mac isn't back out there, Bailey could keep, you know, playing the way he's playing. And when Mac does get out there, he doesn't, you know, he improves and protects the football and, you know, gets back to the guy that we saw last year or even better.
1: Yeah. And we know Bill hates the Jets, so he'll, yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll be, he'll be ready race. to go for those games. Hey, before we let you go, James, were you worried at all that some of these guys, I know David Andrews was there. I think Slater and McCourty were there too. I saw them in the picture. Obviously, I saw Moss. I saw Brady at Robert Kraft's wedding. Were you worried at all? There could be a carryover effect because that was Friday night, man. That's a quick turnaround.
2: No, I wasn't worried at all. A lot of guys, you know, do different things on Friday nights. You know, everybody has their different routine. Going to dinner, maybe the younger guys go to a club or whatever, whatever. Who knows? But everybody has a routine on Friday night. I don't think it's a big deal at all. Those guys are just having fun with, you know, Mr. Kraft, who likes to have a good time himself. So.
1: Oh, he does. <laughs> yeah, he
2: does. I mean, that was
1: a party. It was like. Yeah. I saw Ed Sharon was there Meek yeah. Mill was there Elton yeah. John was there man like he was not messing I don't, I don't know how you keep a wedding like under wraps like that
2: yeah I, I heard Randy no
1: Moss like didn't even know until the end of the week where it was going
2: <laughs> yeah but you can't miss that one it's always a star-studded event when you know crafts around he has a lot of knows a lot of people obviously for obvious obvious reasons he does a lot of great work in the community too so I said congratulations to him I said I'm sure they had a lot of fun I'm kind of kind of mad I missed it <laughs> What happened? You, you couldn't make it? Nah, nah, I'm, uh, I'm, you no, know, I'm out of the state, so I, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, I got gotcha.
1: you. All right, that is James White, three-time Super Bowl champ. James, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week.
2: Bro, no I'm talking to you next week. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EB. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.
0: This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at Ugg.com.
1: Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from James White, of course. I want to get to some over-unders with the Celtics in just a second here, but the Bruins last night completely outplayed the Coyotes, I should say, on Saturday night. They outshot them 43-24. to They let them back in the game, careless turnover by Zaka, but overall, the Bruins dominated that game, and... I don't want to get into that game in great detail because I am excited to see Monday. You actually play a real legitimate team. The Coyotes are an absolute joke. That team is atrocious. And then the other part of the equation is you're going to play Florida on Monday night. And Florida is one of the teams that came into the season with high aspirations, fourth in terms of FanDuel's odds to win the Stanley Cup. So that's the game I'm looking forward to. Really enjoyed opening night. Last night, not as much because things got a little bit sloppy, but I thought Greer looked really good for them. Lindholm played really well. Obviously, Carlo goes down with the injury, which isn't great considering the fact that you're already missing McAvoy there in terms of your defenseman. So not great when it comes to that. But overall, I thought it was one of those wins that could have been a lot easier than the Bruins made it out to be. All right, I want to get to some Celtics over-unders. So... Myself, Steve Cerruti, Jamie McClone, we came up with these over-unders for the Celtics on the season as we get ready for opening night on Tuesday, which I cannot wait for. Celtics and 76ers. So the first one is Jason Tatum over-under his MVP finish, 4.5. So last year, just to put it into context, he finished 6. I'm going under the 4.5. He's on FanDuel at plus 1,300 behind Luka, who is the favorite. Embiid, Giannis, Jokic, KD, Jaws at 1,300 as well, plus 1,300. Now, I would put, as I told you before, I'd put some money on that plus 1,300. Embiid has a ton of momentum. It feels like last year, a lot of seasons, he wins the MVP, two consecutive years finishing second, and that Philly team's going to be good. Luka, I understand how great of a player he is and all that, but they may not even be a top six team. Warriors, Clippers, Denver, Minnesota, New Orleans, Phoenix, like there's a chance they're not even in the top six. And I don't see that as any sort of guarantee. Jokic has no chance. I mean, the last guy that won three consecutive was, we all know, Larry Bird, 84, 85, 86. Giannis, I like that. That's a good one in terms of now after he had that great playoff series against the Celtics. It's been a couple of years since he won an MVP. He's won a championship since then. So It used to be like Giannis fatigue. It's not going to be Giannis fatigue anymore. Durant's not going to play enough games. So I see Tatum finishing in the top three, and I I like that, plus 1,300 on FanDuel. All right, next one from FanDuel. Over under 53.5 wins for the Celtics. I'm going over, and I know that's scary because a lot of the injuries, but I think they're going to come out of the gate like they're shot out of a cannon. And it kind of reminds me of, remember when the Celtics lost Hayward, his first game with that gruesome injury? And they were sort of doubted for a second there. They lose two consecutive games to begin the season to the Cavs, and the second game was to Milwaukee. And then they just go on a great stretch. And that was like the only good portion of Kyrie's career here. He was incredible. They start the season 22 and 4. And so I feel like what the Celtics are going to do is stockpile a lot of wins early because they're sort of in this FU mode right now. I mean, if you read the article that Chris Mannix had at SI, you can tell that these guys are really fed up. They want to get things going. And The other portion of it is the end of the season. So at the end of the year, after February 20th, right, which is sort of the tail end of the season, what we're going to see across the league is teams are going to be tanking because you have two guys at the top of the draft in Wembenyana and Scoot Henderson. Obviously, Wembenyana is going to go one, but Scoot Henderson most years would go number one in the NBA draft. And look at some of these teams you play after February 20th. Two with Indiana, who may be the worst team in the league, and they're going to trade guys away. Another team that you could consider the worst team in the NBA, you have a game with San Antonio. You play Utah twice. You play Sacramento, who Sacramento's trying to win. Maybe they're in the play-in game, but not a great team. And you play Washington. Washington could be in a bad situation as well. So that's seven of your final 23 against teams that may come to the realization like, oh, shit, maybe we should go for Wembegnana. Like, just say the hypothetical with Washington is this. Beal gets injured. It happens all the time. Beal suffers injuries. We've seen it. He's injury-prone. So if he suffers an injury, Washington's done. They're not a good team to begin with, but then they're completely done. So I just feel like you're going to get a lot of wins from the premier teams in the NBA late in the season because of so many of these teams tanking. So that's part of the reason I think they go over the 53 and a half. First and foremost is I think they get off to a really good start. And then secondarily, at the end of the season, I think you'll have some real easy opportunities. Okay, then over under 59 and a half games for Horford. He was at 69 last year. I see him right around that 65 mark. Knock on wood, of course, that he doesn't suffer any sort of injuries. But one thing I think we see is once Robert Williams actually looks like Rob again, which is going to take a while, right? Because remember, from the injury, 8 to 12 weeks in terms of resuming basketball activities. So he's probably not even going to look like himself until a couple of weeks after the All-Star break, something along those lines. But when that does happen, I think that's when we see Horford get some nights off and I think that's the smart way to do it as well. And if you look at last year, I think you also got to consider during the season, make sure that you're not playing him in back-to-backs despite the fact that he wants to play back-to-backs and be smart with Horford. So Horford's numbers last season, one day arrest, 28.3 minutes a game, he averaged 10.7 and a half rebounds. With two days rest, he played 30 and a half minutes. He averaged 9.9 points, 7.7 in terms of the rebounds. So the raw number is pretty much the same. But here's the big thing. With one day rest, he shot 44.2% from the field. With two days rest, 52%. In terms of his three-point percentage, one day rest, 31.3%. Two days rest, 46.7%. So you know if I have these numbers... The Celtics have these numbers. There is no reason that you should be playing Horford in back-to-backs or only with one-day rest unless you really need to because the biggest thing about Horford is keeping the guy healthy. So I don't see the reason to push it with Horford whatsoever. So I think he goes slightly over that 59 and a half, uh, about 65, I would say, games that he plays unless he suffers some sort of injury, which is obviously possible with Al as he's an older player. All right, Brogdon over under six assists per game. This is an interesting one to me. Smart led the team last year at 5.9, but I'm going to go over six because of this. Brogdon is going to run the second unit with either Jalen or Tatum hanging around, and I would envision that it's going to be Jalen hanging around because Tatum's more of a creator, as we all know, than Jalen. Jalen is more of a play finisher. So he's going to have more chances than Smart does, right? Because when Smart starts the game, he's got to be playing with Tatum. He's got to be playing with Jalen Brown. A lot of the minutes that Brogdon plays, and obviously Smart will get opportunities too, but I just think right away in the first quarter of every game, you're going to have Brogdon out there without either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, and As I said, my guess would be Jalen Brown. So it kind of gives him more of an opportunity to run more stuff. We're going to see him running more pick and roll than Marcus Smart did. So I believe he goes over that six. The other thing I'd look at too with Brogdon, I gave this out a couple of weeks ago. The FanDuel odds for a six man of the year plus 1,600 for... Malcolm Brogdon. So he's behind Jordan Poole's the favorite, which obviously makes a lot of sense. You have Powell. You have Hero. Christian Wood in front of him. I like those odds. Now, the problem I have with the the six-man-of-the-year award is the voters are just fucking lazy. All they do is vote for the guy that has the most points, right? They don't vote for guys that actually do multiple things. Like For example, Andre Iguodala never won a six-man-of-the-year award when he's playing for the Golden State Warriors. How is there more valuable reserves than Andre Iguodala, who during his peak years in Golden State, he was arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. I mean, he's up there with the Kawhi Leonard's of the world, right? I mean, we've seen what he's done on multiple occasions defending LeBron James. So I and he's an exceptional playmaker. So I've never understood why people don't pay more attention to other stuff in terms of it just feels like it goes to the highest score every year, which I hate that. But I still think Brogdon. If he's averaging, say, hypothetically, 15-7, and seven, he's, and for a team that is going to be really good, he's going to have a real opportunity here. All right, over-under for the Celtics, two-and-a-half seed in the East. I'm going to go slightly over. Okay, second-best odds to win the East on FanDuel, plus 300. Milwaukee's at one. So I believe the Celtics and the Bucks are the top two. The reason I say that is Philly's ceiling is really high, but remember, Joel Embiid last year played the most games he's ever played in the NBA at 68. He had never played more than 65 prior to last season. It just feels like, and it's unfortunate for him, it's unfortunate for NBA fans, but every season he goes down with some sort of malady. And sometimes they're weird. Sometimes he gets like poked in the eye or something along those lines, right? So I just feel like Embiid is going to miss some time and the Celtics are going to get one of those top two seeds. All right, over under game 20 for the first smart Joe Missoula shouting match. I'm taking the under on this one, and I don't even think this is going to be like a real bad thing. I just look at it in terms of the second Marcus Smart like disagrees with maybe some of, I'm not even talking about playing time, like if they take him out at the end of the game and keep Brogdon and in or something along those lines. I'm just talking about like, oh, he doesn't like the ATO or something like that. He doesn't like the play that Missoula draws up. There's going to be an issue. But I think the more likely thing, Smart gets into it with either Tatum or Brown, more likely Brown or maybe Grant Williams. That certainly could be the case as well. And Missoula steps in and Missoula and Marcus Smart go at it. So I'm going to go under there. And like I said, this is not a panic thing. It's not a big issue. How about Grant Williams over under 30 minutes per game? I'm going over the 30. So last year, 24.4 minutes per game. He shot north of 46% on corner threes, 41.1% overall on threes. Big thing that benefits him in terms of the minutes is no raw. Now, I know we had, of course, Bill on the other day. He didn't want to see a ton of Grant at five minutes. I believe it's coming just because he's the certainty, right? These other guys are question marks. Cabin Galley, Cornette, even Blake Griffin to a lesser extent, because we know what he is now at this stage in his career. But, you know, Grant is a good player. I mean, just, despite how annoying he can be at times, he's a good player. And Grant's looking for a contract, too. He's looking for something in that 14, 15 million dollar range. The Celtics have not agreed to terms with him. They're not looking to pay him that much. Not to say like not looking to pay him that much, but that exact amount, 14 to 15 million dollars, they haven't come to an agreement on something along those lines. And so I do feel like if Grant feels like he should be getting more playing time in a contract year, it's going to be an issue. So I do feel like Grant and a lot of this has to do with merit, too. Like he definitely can be a 30 minute per game guy in the NBA. So I think he does go over that 30 this year. All right, over under two and a half all defensive team reps. I'm saying under on this one because obviously you rule out Robert Williams because he's going to come back later on in the season. He's not going to have enough games to qualify for it. So he's out. And of course, he was on it last year. Smart, I believe he's going to stay on it as long as he plays enough games. I think like people go completely over the top about smart. Like, quite frankly, I didn't think he deserved to win defensive player of the year. I don't think a perimeter guard like that should be getting that award like you just can't have the same impact just go watch the finals who has the impact is it robert williams is it marcus smart but that doesn't diminish that marcus smart is one of the best guard defenders in the nba like it's him and drew Holiday, the two best guys really i mean thiebel's good in terms of the shot blocking and all that actually Derek white is really good as well but smart is still a really good defender i never understood why the media was so pissed that he won like people were really angry about that last year but nonetheless i think he stays on the team the other guy that i think makes it this year is Tatum. Tatum, I believe, has built up some momentum for this. So last year, of course, he shuts down Kevin Durant in that postseason series. He outplays him and he takes him on -on one-on-one. And if you look at the numbers last year, he defended 70 isolation possessions. The opponent shot just 36.8%. He was in the 71st percentile as a isolation defender. So I think we see a lot more of the appreciation this year for tatum's defense because he was really good last year as well so i think they go under the two and a half all defensive team reps i still think the celtics will have a top three to five defense in the nba they may not be the best just because rob's going to be out for so long but that's still the identity of the team and we still know how good of a defender smart is and i believe tatum's the guy that jumps in there with him this year all right over under game 10 that Scalabrini compares Hauser to Ray Allen. Now, Jamie McClellan, our producer, had it at 20. I had to lower it to 10 because I think that under 20 is a guarantee. So under 10, I'm taking under two because they're going to run them like off screens and stuff. And the Celtics haven't had this type of player. We were talking to Bill about this last week. They've not had like a sharpshooter that you can run off screens in a little while here. And the Hauser thing... I don't want to sound like an idiot, but I feel like it's real already. Like, I don't want this to like four weeks into the season say, yeah, uh, how's this on the bench? He's not playing. But the preseason and look, I don't buy into everything in the preseason, but he made 13 threes, second most on the team to Jalen Brown, tied for fifth in the NBA. He was 13 for 27, 48.1 percent from three. The guy hits everything that he takes. I mean, it's pretty impressive to watch this guy shoot the ball. So I think we are going to get some of that from Scal, whether it's like he's comparing it to some of the plays they would run for, like, say, Eddie House back in the day. I think we get something like that from Scal this year. All right. Over under top five and a half finish for Tatum or over under top five and a half finish for Tatum in technicals this year. So does he finish in the top five? So he was at 14 technicals last year. That was tied for 10th in the NBA. I believe he's going to get into the top five this year, okay? Because for a couple of reasons. First, we know that he likes to complain to the officials a lot. It's not like he's unique in this, but he does it a lot more than other guys in the league. I think we can all acknowledge that. Grant Williams likes to complain a lot too. But here's the thing that I would not be upset if Tatum goes into the top five if it happens with one sort of loophole. And that is if a lot of his technicals this year are with the other team, meaning it's not him yelling at the ref. Like if Tatum has this attitude where he's getting mad at the opponent, like sort of like Draymond Green. Now, Draymond does it with the officials a lot as well, but Draymond gets into it with the other team. If Tatum's doing that with the other team, like I'm going to kind of like that because that's kind of like a different type of Jason Tatum. But I mean, in the playoffs last year, all the teams in the NBA complained. We all know this, right? I mean, it's across the sports world, but the Celtics, it was over the top. It was completely over the top. And I do think that, Tatum has to wear some of the blame for that just because he's the best player. It trickles down from him. Like Grant Williams running at, a, yelling at officials all the time, that shit cannot happen. But I do think Tatum finishes in the top five, and it may not be a bad thing. The last one I put in here, not an over under, but I was wondering who becomes the rival of the Celtics, right? Because this team just went to the championship. So some of the nominees, if you will Philadelphia, they play on opening night. They're in the division. You have the Doc part of the equation as well. You have the Nets in the division that whole Kyrie situation. And now we know that Durant and Tatum are buddies. They work out together. But Tatum did eat his lunch in the postseason last year. Milwaukee, you don't play them until Christmas. And you had that epic series against them where Giannis was just incredible. And then the Warriors, you only play twice a year. So when I look at it, I think that Milwaukee actually ultimately becomes the rival because I think that the Celtics look at them as like Man, we barely got through that team. Even though they killed him in game seven, they didn't have Chris Middleton. And they realized, like, how difficult it is to play Giannis for seven games. So I think that team ultimately becomes the rival. Like, that's the team that you match yourself up against. Like, that's when we're like, okay, this is a team we're going to see in the postseason. But I do believe, like, these other ones are going to be more chippy in terms of. I think something's going to happen in one of the Golden State games because the Celtics were mad about that. Some of the stuff that Draymond Green was saying, and we'll see what happens with Draymond Green with this whole Jordan Poole situation. But they were definitely mad about that. And the other thing is, I think there's going to be something with Brooklyn. I think that they're going to get into it with Brooklyn a little bit this year. So in terms of the feistiness, I think we see more of that in terms of Brooklyn with Kyrie and all that different type of stuff and with the Golden State Warriors. But I think the team that you look at, that you measure yourself up against, is going to be Milwaukee. And Philly, to me, maybe, it's just like the whole Embiid situation, maybe he riles people up because we know he likes to do that. Maybe he gets into it with like Horford or something because they didn't get along. Or not that they didn't get along, just Horford did not play well when he was in Philadelphia. Now you could argue that they weren't using him correctly. But I think Milwaukee, of course, is the team. I mean, Milwaukee has right now the best player in the NBA in Giannis. So I think that's the team you're looking at. All right, cannot wait for this season to get underway. And it does kind of feel like... The Celtics, maybe they feel like after they made it to the finals, like sort of their balls dropped, right? Like they're not going to take shit from some of these other teams. And I do really think like one of the things about Ime last year, remember that quote he had for Jason Tatum, where he told him, stop treating these guys like your big brother. I do feel like that sort of changed Tatum a little bit. And I hope the Celtics like kind of come into the season with that attitude. Like, no, we're the team to beat. Like, I want them to act that way against these other opponents. I cannot wait for the season to get underway on Tuesday. All right. If you want to send a voicemail in after the Celtics game, you want to react to the Patriots win on Sunday. If you want to do something with the Red Sox, I don't know what you would want to talk about with them right now because it's miserable, but you can leave us a voicemail. 617-396-7172. 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast. And we'll chat after the Celtics game coming up on Tuesday.
2: in the Hotels.com app today.